Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Food for five years. A thousand gallons of gas, air filtration, water filtration, Geiger counter, bomb shelter, underground goddamn monsters. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Tremors. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from on top of a big-ass rock in Perfection, Nevada, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm quite well. Thank you for asking. And to my left we have the Professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Excellent. Doing great. Excellent. Tonight we are talking about Tremors. Tremors comes to us via the Bronco Helmet and was submitted by Mackenzie, one of our listeners. So this one is for you. We hope that you enjoy it. Hey, Mackenzie. Happiness. Released on January 19th, 1990, Tremors was directed by Ron Underwood. The screenplay by Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson. And it stars... Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Finn Carter, Michael Gross, Reba McIntyre, and a bunch of other graboids. How'd this movie do, Don? <laughs> this movie was made for $10 million and it brought in, is that right? Yep. $17 million. Yeah, and the director felt that one of the reasons why this movie didn't do so well is there was really no marketing at the time for the movie. Well, they didn't know how to market it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't know if this was going to be a horror film or a comedy. You know, it's not until it gets released on VHS uh, that it becomes what it ultimately becomes. That's where it takes right. off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see this in the theater? Uh, sort of. I saw it when it came around again at the crest. Occasionally, folks, you might hear us refer to the crest. And the crest is a movie theater for the longest time that would capture a movie that had already left the, th the theaters and six months later it would show up. And so if you happened to miss it when it was in the theaters, you had a last chance to watch it at the crest. And I love the crest because I can't tell you how many times my buddies and I sat through Die Hard, Batman, Lethal Weapon 2, and the list goes on and on because we knew the, the manager and he just let us in. So... God bless the crest. I loved the uh, the package deal that they had. They called it the trough, which was, I think, two beverages and a bowl of bottomless popcorn. Yeah. So this is directed by Ron Underwood. Uh, do you guys know anything else that this guy has done? City Slickers. Yeah. That's the only other one of note. The uh, The writers and him, they, uh, they also worked on something else. It was... Uh, Heart and Soul. Heart and Soul with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, young Robert Downey. Mm -hmm. and, and the writers, they worked together as well. Uh, they also did uh, Batteries Not Included. And what was the other one? I feel like it was another kid-friendly short circuit. Yeah, there you go. This movie does kind of have a City Slickers kind of feel. Oh, and this... At least a Western kind of motif. And this trio also did Tremors 2 and 3. Yes, well, I mean... 
like a lot of franchises, I think that Tremors is a great standalone film. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Have you seen any of the sequels? I saw the second one. Once. Yeah, and come on. It just didn't live up. I've seen, I think, the next three movies. The one, I watched up to the one where they go back in time, I think. And they show them in the Western. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the next logical step, right? I was just looking up. Apparently, there's one that came out in 2020. Yeah, with uh, Jamie Kennedy is, no, 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 I'm sorry. It's John Hader. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite and Bert. Yeah, and it's uh, Land of the Screechers, I think it's called. Isle of the Screechers. Yeah, something like that. Did you see it in the theater? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, I did see it in the theater, uh, and I remember... Before this, I you know I had seen Kevin Bacon and a few things here and there, but I always thought of him as kind of a dick actor. Um, you know, like I always thought of him from Animal House. Uh, that was his first role. Yeah, and I I didn't even realize that he was in Friday the Thirteenth, anything like that. But when I saw him in this, oh, you're right, it is Friday the Thirteenth. That's the first one. Yeah, my opinion though really changed on him. I think in this movie, I really liked his character Val in this movie. Yeah, I didn't see this until it came out on VHS. And I remember the first time I saw it thinking, wow, this was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. You know, it's just a fun ride. It's a not, it's a don't take it too seriously movie. Yeah. Speaking of this movie, what'd you guys think of the cast? Let's start with uh, Kevin Bacon himself. I thought that Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, their characters are so good together. You know, their banter and their camaraderie. And they're they're back and forth, you know, a little bit of mild bickering. Uh, I, I love Fred Ward's, you know, wry little smile that he has on his face throughout the movie. He's he's a really likable character. Both of these characters are really good. You can tell these two are having a good time, and they're such good partners. And I really enjoyed the chemistry between those two as well. What's crazy about this is, I guess at the time. Uh, Kevin Bacon was, you know, basically getting into brand new marriage and had a lot of things going on. And after this movie was made, he claimed it was the worst thing he ever did and did not want to talk about it. It wasn't until years later that he admitted that he had a lot going on in his life personally, and that this actually was one of the funnest movies he's ever made and really appreciated. It's sad that, you know, he didn't appear in any of the sequels. I, I wonder if that would have helped the sequels. I don't know. Who knows? Um, he does Footloose, and then the string of films he does in between Footloose and this one are bombs. Mm-hmm. He, do, he doesn't do very well. Like, she's having a baby, mm-hmm. um, Quicksilver, Whitewater mm-hmm. Summer, shit like that, right? And so he is worried. He doesn't want to take this because it's a big worm movie, and he's like, what the fuck? You know, and he does it, and they have a good time making it, and it fucking bombs, and he is just so down on it. And I guess rightfully so, and you're absolutely right, John. It's not until later when it becomes appreciated in this cult classic that he, you know, is really thankful for being in it. And he, in fact, was in the pilot episode of the Tremor series that never got released from Netflix. No so, kidding. Yeah. Do you have any other Kevin Bacon movies you dig? Oh, fuck. Countless. Right, uh, Footloose, like, always a always a favorite. Yeah, always have to go to Footloose. Yeah, um, it's a musical. It's not a musical. Well, it doesn't really. They don't sing in it. Yeah. No, they don't. But there was a Broadway stage version where they do sing in it. And you have seen it? I have seen it. Of course Shocker. he has. I mean, yeah. Come on, come on. Uh, anything he's in, really. Uh, Invisible Man. I never saw that. Okay, let's okay, let's not get crazy. But yeah, yeah, he played again. He played a pretty good bad guy in that one. 
Yeah, well, he does have that fucking persona. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he will forever be, you know, Red McCormick. So I also think about him in A Few Good Men, Mystic River. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I remember for the longest time, uh, it was probably around the time that Tremors came out that I would uh, tell people, I would give them a trivia question. Do you remember that moment in Friday the 13th when the hand comes up from underneath the bed and the arrow comes up through the throat? Yeah. Do you know who that is? Hmm. It's Kevin Bacon. No way. Yeah. What did you guys think of Fred Ward? Do you know him from a lot of things? I don't know him from very many other things. The only other place where I remember him is from The Right Stuff. Yeah, and then there's also Remo Williams. I was going to say, he was in Remo Williams, and I... I, for one, loved that movie, and I always wish they had continued the the storyline for that one. Sure. That was the original plan. Originally, it was supposed to be a series. We were supposed mm-hmm. to get a whole bunch of Remo Williams movies, but for whatever reason, they decided to walk away from that. Probably. Yeah, it, it probably didn't perform. Yeah. Michael Gross, fresh off of Family Ties. I guess he finished the last day of filming Family Ties, the last episode, and went straight to here the next day. And the director said that he uh, that Michael Gross comes in for an inter or in for an audition, and he was like, "This this is the dad from Family Ties. There's no way, right? It it, it just didn't seem like it would fit." And at the end of the audition, he had nailed it because the director said that he made him feel Gross made him feel like that there was stuff underneath the ground coming up and he he just leaned into it and got into it and he's one of my favorite characters in this originally they were thinking of either like a chuck norris chuck norris in this role or a chuck norris like character i thought he did a bang up job in this well yeah he's in the he's in all of them yeah basically yeah yeah i i think that he is better suited than having like a chuck norris character in there chuck norris he always plays a character that is calm cool Whereas we have we have Bert, he's he's a little unhinged, you know. He gets wild eyed, and mm-hmm. because of that, you know, I thought that he he was spectacular for this role. Yeah, yeah. And then they pair him up with Reba McIntyre, and Who they did not want originally in this movie. That's her he, first acting role, and and she gets to do the song at the end, you know. And uh, I'm not a huge country fan, and I've gone on record saying that, but I like me some Reba, yeah. and I thought she was just. I thought she was perfect for this role. When she first wanted to audition, the director said, no, I don't, I don't want her. There's no way she can do this. Uh, but then he got talked into letting her come in for an audition, and apparently she blew them away. Yeah, well, I mean, she's in the movie, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, does the name Ariana Richards mean anything to you? No. That's the little girl. What else was she in? The girl on the pogo stick? Yeah. Anybody? No. Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? The 1993 Steven Spielberg directed... Jurassic Park. Hmm. Listeners, I wish I could show you the look I just got from the comic book guy. Yes, that is true. As soon as she was on screen, I went, oh, yeah, Jurassic Park. Do you know where they came up with the concept for this movie? Yeah, one of the writers was working for the Navy and was sat and was working on top of a rock one day and imagined if there were worm-like creatures underneath and he couldn't get down. Yeah, he and was he trying to that make... That was a great idea. They were trying to make educational safety films. And then, do you know what they originally were planning on naming this movie? Land Sharks. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Or Land Shark. Yeah, and why didn't they use the name? Well, because SNL still had the patent on it. Yeah. And they didn't want to fight it. Um, and strangely enough, you know, I, I watched a couple of the behind the scenes. And, and there's a great behind the scenes, a couple of them on YouTube, 
one that came out as soon as the movie was made, kind of probably came out with the VHS release, I'm guessing. And then one that was made not too long ago. It's a retrospective and Kevin Bacon's on it and it's called uh, Tremors Making Perfection or whatever. If anyone is a fan of this film, I uh, recommend you check that out. But anyways, uh, as I'm watching this, the movie and these documentaries, I myself can't help but see all the parallels to Jaws. But yet, Jaws is never in the uh, conversation. You know what I mean? When they're talking Mm -hmm. about it and where they got the ideas from and this, that, and the other. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if it's subconscious or it's just because it's just the way it was made. I don't know. But you guys had to have seen the parallels, right? You know, I don't know if I saw the parallel the first time I saw it, but when I went back and watched it this time, the fact that they don't show the graboid or the creature for the first, like, what, 20 minutes of the movie? 34 minutes. 34 minutes of the movie. Thank you, Professor. Uh, really gave me Jaws vibes. Absolutely. And look and, at the fucking poster. And it, it worked for it. Right. And I'm not saying that's wrong or bad. All I'm saying is I found a lot of parallels to Jaws, but that's just me. No, I thought the same thing. I was right there with you. Yeah. I didn't think that ever until you guys said it. Interesting. <sighs> is it trivia time? Why, yes, Don. I believe it would be trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to crown a master of movie trivia, I've prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are reviewing this episode. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. What did the man who Val and Earl find dead at the top of the power lines die of? Dehydration. Dehydration. I think Professor started that one first. When the doctor and his wife are building their new house, what is it that the wife tells the doctor they have to pick up in the morning? Cinder blocks. There you go. Congratulations. What is the population of the town at the beginning of the movie? 14. 14. What device did the perfection inhabitants use to detect the graboids? A seismic detector? I'll I'll give that to you. Seismograph. What does Val find under a hat in the middle of a field? A A face. Well, more specifically, Fred's head. Still a head and a face. How much money do Val and Earl have before they take care of Nestor's trash? Five 20. bucks. Twenty? Three dollars. What does Bert's license plate say? Uzi for you. God damn it. I okay. fucking knew that. Nice job, <laughs> Professor. What does it say on the water tower? Uh, perfection. There you go. Congratulations. And for our final question, as I stated earlier, the population of the town was 14. What was the population of the town at the end of the movie? Eight. Eight. Seven. Is that your final answer? No, it was 14. Uh, wait, you can't, you don't count the guys working on the road, do you? They're not part of the population. No, I do not count them. Okay, thank you. So I it count was, them from a different town. Okay, so, and it's, you can't uh, count it's the 11. Grad student. It's 11. You can't count the grad student. No, it's there. Chang and the doctor oh, so and his wife. It'd be seven. Oh, no, it's Earl and, or uh, the dude on the tower and then the farmer, Fred. It it's is five. Val, Earl, Bert, Heather, Mindy, Nancy, Miguel, and Melvin. So how many do we have there? I don't know. I wasn't fucking counting. Was I supposed to be fucking counting? The answer is eight. Oh, I was correct the first time. Yes, he was correct. Congratulations, guys. You have a tie. Oh, for fuck's sakes. (laughs) 
Val and Earl are handymen working in Perfection, Nevada, an isolated settlement in the high desert east of the Sierra Nevada mountains. They eventually get tired of their jobs and leave for Bixby, the nearest town. As they leave, they discover the dead body of another resident, Edgar Deems, perched atop of an electrical tower, still grasping the tower's crossbeam with his rifle. Jim Wallace, the town's doctor, determines that Edgar died of dehydration, apparently having been too afraid to climb down. So this movie opens up, and it's kind of your just traditional movie, and we get to meet our characters right away, Val and Earl. Um, what did you guys think of this whole opening bit? I thought it was great in that we already get a feel for their their relationship, for their friendship, you know, their little partnership. I thought it was a good opening introduction to them. Yeah. I, I felt the same way. These characters are instantly likable, the way that they uh, banter with each other, and they have their own limited short-sighted goals. Remember, you got to learn to think ahead. Right. I'm already thinking about Wednesday. Right, right. The, just the dialogue and the banter. And I got to tell you guys, and you'll probably roll your eyes at me, but my favorite part about this movie is when they both wake up, they both have to have a cigarette. <laughs> that, that was just delightful. And then we meet uh, Rhonda real quick. Well, before that, one of the things I always love, or I love about this movie, is the little things that you notice kind of happening. Like, did you notice that um, Earl always throws scissors when they do rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, I noticed that. Every single time. The other thing that I think makes me giggle every time was the scene where they're putting up the the fence posts and Kevin Bacon tries to hit the nail thing, uh, I think it's eight times before he finally hits it the real time. Yeah. And you know that that was Kevin Bacon's idea and Fred didn't know he was going to do that. So when he genuinely looks at it, that's uh, not acting. That's his actual reaction. Yeah. And then we are introduced to Rhonda. Oh, so briefly. And, you know, during this whole bit, uh, we're introduced to a lot of people, including the town. I love how they also, when they introduce us to the town, they make sure to point out that there's only 14 residents. Yeah, in the town. And, and it kind of gives us a rundown of, of how it is. I don't there. know why. It made me start counting. <laughs> Every time there was a death, I had to count down. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe it's a little OCD. I don't know. And so this... This movie shot in, you know, the desert, and I couldn't help but notice uh, during this opening bit as we're, you know, going from job to job and we're getting introduced to these characters, the soundtrack that's playing has this harmonica over it, and for some reason, it reminded me of summer school. Just that peppy kind of here-we-go kind of moment. You know what we need to do? Learn how to play the harmonica? I need you to edit the movie take out the soundtrack and put in the Jaws soundtrack. So that every time the little graboid is going under the ground, we hear the dun-dun, 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 dun-dun. And then we jump back to Rhonda and she's packing her equipment up and then we get the, the monster eye view for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's sneaking up on her. You know what I liked about this whole film was that um, it's practical. You know, there's no CGI in it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of one of the last movies that is practical because three years later we get Jurassic Park. But, um, yeah, it's all practical. And watching the behind the scenes and how they kind of came up with it, it's actually really fascinating. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners how they did the worm moving underground, like showing up above ground? They did a they dug a tunnel, which obviously you have to do because you're working underground. And then they put this ball in this trench 
covered it with dirt. I think it was like a boat buoy or something. Or like something that. like that, something round. And then they would pull it through the ground, and it made the ground ripple. Yeah, and I love the fact that you're absolutely right. It was a practical effect, not done with CGI. So you go back and you kind of appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, Val and Earl are contemplating life. They have to do the garbage, and then they have to do the shit. And I think at that point, you know, come on. Did you instantly hate Melvin? Of course. He was just this little punk kid who has to be in all the 90s movies, right? Who, who was Melvin's parents in this movie? I never, I tried to catch that the times I watched it. I I don't know if he had parents, but I think he was with, uh, not Edgar, who was the... The guy that got pulled down by the in the tire? Yes. Yeah, I feel like he was his guardian or something like that. Because he, he, Melvin reacts to his death more so than anyone That's else's what in the I movie. So, or who cares? Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Val and Earl have had it. Once that pipe bursts. And you knew it was happening, right? Sure. And so they decide, fuck this, we're out. Mm-hmm. You know, and as they're trying to leave, I like how the mom uh, stops them. Oh, Nancy, she she's trying to entice the boys to do the job. She needs a kiln built. Yes, <laughs> free lunch and beer. <laughs> you thought for sure yeah. that they were going to cave and take it. And they're so proud of themselves that they resisted the temptation. They turned down and, beer. And they, and they didn't take it. Yeah. So they're leaving town, and they see uh, someone. In, it's like a power tower. Yeah, and they see someone perched up there, and then as they get closer, they figure out that it's Edgar. And um, they figure that he's just asleep or drunk or something. Yeah, he's passed right. out up there. Yeah. And, uh, and it's nice that they would stop to check on him. Well, they're nice guys, and this is established pretty early, right? Maybe too nice for their own good, apparently. And so uh, they throw rock, paper, scissors, and Kevin Bacon has to go up and retrieve him. And this is where we find out that he was dead. And so they take him down. And I was thinking to myself, if I'm Kevin Bacon and I know that he's dead, do I carry the body down? Or do you just let him fall? Or do you just let him fall? I don't know. I'm guessing their characters carry him down. They're nice guys. We, well, on the other hand, would have dropped him and probably made bets about it. Oh, I would have fucking definitely dropped him. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe Earl came up and they both worked him down. Yeah, maybe. 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 And so they take him to the dock and they find out that he dies of dehydration. In the meantime, we have uh, uh, we get back to the seismic machine and we see that there's activity. And then we have the road crew working and then this is where we get to see a little bit of action here. When when uh, one of the worms is hit by the jackhammer, and the jackhammer is pulled down and then shot out, and the next thing you know, you get this avalanche that comes down because the worms were attacking. Well, well that one guy gets dragged up and over the hill. Right, which causes the avalanche. Avalanche coming down, and we never see the second guy get killed, but we figure he must have. He gets crunched in the avalanche. Is that what he gets crunched? I yeah. thought. Yeah. I thought he must have just gotten chomped too. Yeah. Later on, an unseen creature kills Shepherd Fred and his flock of sheep. Val and Earl discover his severed head and believe that a serial killer is on the loose. Two construction workers ignore Val and Earl's warning and are killed by the same creature, causing a rock slide. 
Val and Earl try to find help after warning the residents, but find the phone lines are dead and that the rock slide has blocked the only road out of town. Out of sight, a snake-like creature wraps itself around their truck's rear axle, but is torn apart when Val stomps on the accelerator and drives away, and is discovered when they return to town. So, yeah, we're starting to get uh, the presence of the graboid a little bit more here. Uh, And I really dug these effects, right? When they pull the shepherd underground and just, you know, all of the dead uh, sheep lying around. It it looked good, you know. One of the things I appreciate about this movie, and it's the same thing I said about Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, is how I appreciate when things are kind of, you know, shown to us to explain why things happen and you know one thing works into another thing for example um in this movie why can't they get out of town well the whole avalanche thing because of that that caused it they can't get out of town if you notice on the side of the truck the two workers were from the phone company trying to fix the phone lines that explains why the phones weren't working so it's not you know you don't have to have those questions later on of why couldn't they do this why couldn't they do that or you know when they say the phones aren't working you know why is that not going on it's because they answered them earlier on you already know right right and because the two workers accidentally stumbled upon the creature and that jackhammer bit i loved I thought that was that was very clever. After the construction workers, we they they head back to town to call the authorities. Right. What do you think right. of how they found old Fred? Oh, I thought that was funny. Could the graboid not finish the meal? I thought maybe he just left the head <laughs> to to taunt him. Yeah. I mean, it it or, or maybe he just bit him off right at the neck. Yeah. And he didn't realize he left a a, a little morsel behind. Or he could well, have pulled so hard, you know, he pulled the rest of the body off. Possibly, possibly. I, I'm just happy that the wind was able to blow his hat, you know, perfectly over his face, mm-hmm. you know, but it was a great reveal. Yeah, that great reveal. That would be pretty freaky, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they go back, they try to warn everybody. They think a serial killer's on the loose. They right. don't They don't know we were dealing with a monster yet. And so uh, the town decides Val and Earl need to go to Bixby and get help. Mm-hmm. And so they take off. And they come across the construction site and everything's all fucked up. And I like when they get out, uh, they're looking around. We see the remnants of that construction worker who got smashed. You see his, you see the helmet and all the brains inside. <laughs> I noticed that there was like traces of his hair. Was there? Yeah, that's, a, that's great attention I do remember to detail. Was, I remember little bits and pieces of him all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they they try to get out of there, but... Uh, when Val backs the truck up, if, if, it, if, if apparently it feels like he got hung up, right? Yeah. And so they go through the bit trying to get him, and it's a nice little reveal that actually what happened was... The snake had, or the snake that comes out of the mouth of the graboid had uh, wrapped itself around the axle. Yeah, and they pulled that tongue thing, tentacle, right off. And when they get back to town, this is when the town folk discover it, and now... Now they start to think, well, we might have a bigger problem. Now, did you catch the one that they had pulled the snake off? I think is the one that they refer to later as Stubby. And I think Stumpy. it's the, Stumpy, and it's the last one they kill. Yeah. Val and Earl borrow horses to ride to Bixby for help. They come upon Wallace and his wife's buried station wagon near their trailer. 
but the couple is missing, having been killed the previous night. As they press on, an enormous burrow worm-like monster suddenly erupts out of the ground, revealing the snake-like creature to be one of the worm's many tentacle tongues. Thrown from their horses, the men flee with the monsters in pursuit. The chase ends when the eyeless creature crashes through the concrete wall of an aqueduct, dying from the impact. Rhonda Lebec, a graduate student conducting seismology tests in the area, stumbles onto the scene. She deduces from the previous readings that three other worms are in the area. Rhonda, Val, and Earl become trapped overnight atop a cluster of boulders near one of the worms and surmise that the creatures hunt their prey by detecting seismic vibrations. The trio then finds some discarded poles and use them to pole vault to nearby boulders, eventually reaching Rhonda's truck and escaping. Let's go back to the doctor and the wife out there at their construction site. How peaceful and happy and nice it is. Nice evening. I, I was really digging this scene, and I love the bit where she's like, we can't leave everything out now. We got to go in the morning, and so they have more work to do, and you can just see how tired they are. And then all of a sudden, shit goes wrong. Well, I love the fact that the generator's missing, so he's got to go look, and you can see that the cord is going underground, so something obviously pulled it down. Or Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of oops moments in yeah. this bit. Because as soon as he pulls it out and it starts rumbling, she's begging him, move, move, move. And if he moves three seconds earlier, he doesn't get trapped down there. And so her husband gets sucked away and then she runs into the car. And feels safe for a sec. Just for a second. This reminded me of Superman. Anybody? Yes, when I thought Lo the same thing. When Lois Lane mm -hmm. gets buried. My question was, if you see the tentacles and everything coming to you from the back... Why are you not going out the front and going into the camper? I assume because she thought she was safe in the car. It was kind of like a Cujo moment with the dog outside the car, bashing in the car. You don't want to leave the car because it's outside the car. He, The worm doesn't take the station wagon from the back quickly. Well, the moment it, it takes some fucking time. Yeah, the moment it starts getting pulled down, I would have been out of that car. That's what I'm saying. But horror movie, horror comedy. What are you going to do? Yeah. So these are our next two casualties. We're back at Chang, with Chang and he's doing his little photo op, you know, yeah. with, with the, 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 the snake. I love how he paid them $15 for the snake head thing. But then I don't, did he ever say what he was charging for the pictures? Three bucks, three bucks, three bucks a pop. And, yeah. and he was taking pictures and using Melvin and he was just trying to make money. Yeah. Right? I thought it was funny. I love just that actor being in this movie. I, I've been a big fan of his since Big Trouble in Little China. Well, what's his name if you're such a big fan? Well, it's Chang in the movie. It's Victor Wong. Oh, so there you go. At this time, we're also given the phones are out. The road is out. We're on our own. And they, uh, I think they they want to get to the next town, but it's a long walk. So Chang has horses. They come up with the horse idea, and they they like how all the townsfolk are sitting there and trying to come up with plans. And they're all like, "All right, this is a great plan. Who are the best writers?" And then the camera slowly pans over, and we see the Val guys, and Earl, <laughs> and they slowly turn around. Yeah, I have to say, and I don't know if it's just a bad side of me. But I think seeing the horse die upset me more than any of the other deaths in this movie. I didn't think they were going to go that far with it. But it was it was pretty... Uh, it, it's not quite never ended story level. Oh, no. But it, it's pretty rough watching that horse get taken. Yeah. Agreed. But 
you got to figure, you know, animals are smart, right? So the horses knew right away that there was trouble. Why are they not leaving? Why are they not just trying to go the way the horses want to go? The horse's natural reaction is to run, right? So, well, first, I don't know. Their first comments were Chang gave them bad horses. Well, and, you know, that, that could be reasonable at the time. Now, this coming up here is the first time we get to see the full worm. What did you think of the look of the worm? At first glance, you kind of go, oh, okay. And then, you know, as time goes on, it starts to look hokey, more hokey. But I appreciate what they went through to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that it's a big puppet and they did their best. And there are times where it looks gross and really convincing. And there are other times that it doesn't. I thought it was a good reveal. I thought the the worm looked fine. And, uh, you know, it was nice that, you know, we waited a little bit before we actually got to see the worm in all of its glory. And then immediately after this, we get to see the underground movement of the worm, you know, going from left frame to right frame. I thought that was really well done, too. One of the original plans for the design of the worm was to have an outer shell that retracts when it comes above ground to show, like, a smaller worm inside. Why don't you just say foreskin? But that's what they thought. The the crew thought it looked really phallic and like foreskin, so that idea got scrapped. Do you know what producer brought that to everyone's attention? No. Gail Ann Hurd. Do you know who Gail Ann Hurd is? Mm -mm. Spielberg? Cameron. Oh. Terminator? Aliens, T2, that's where she, this is kind of where she cut her teeth. Um, but she was like, guys, you can't do this. This looks like one big giant dick. And uh, in that documentary I was watching, the designers were genuinely surprised. Like, oh, we never thought about that. How can you not think about that? Yeah, so that's why they then came up with the tentacle tongue. Yeah. Can we go back just a moment? They stop off at the, at, at the doctor's place and i really thought it was a a very fun reveal of you know they hear the music and then they get close to the music and then when they find when they find the ford logo and then you see the headlights and you're like man what the fuck is going on i really like the headlight reveal yeah i think that looks really good and i like where he goes oh the car's uh, the car's gone so we just missed them but they hear the music and so, you know, it was only a matter of time before they found it. Yeah, that's a great reveal. Mm-hmm. I really liked the uh, the irrigation canal where you have the, the worm being killed by, you know, it, it just like T-boned right into the concrete wall. And this is a good example of, you know, you don't have to show us too much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the horses kick them off. They have to run for it. And we still don't know what's going on. I mean, we as the audience know it's a worm, but we don't know at what size yet. Yep. Typically. And so um, they start taking off and they run and they make the jump and it hits that fucking concrete wall. And I thought that was a good way to get rid of one of them, you know, and they, and they kind of just got lucky really. Yep. But uh, what did you guys think of when it broke through and then all the, what just what it looked like when it was all fucked up? I, want, I was wondering why was like its blood really just orangey color? You know, it was kind of gimmicky, kind of gunky color. But then I thought from other movies that we reviewed that we've talked about, this movie was really trying hard not to get a rated R rating. And I've learned from other movies that having a lot of red blood in a movie is a quick way to get a rated R. So I wonder if that's why they made the blood orange. Yes and no. 
It originally got a rated R rating, but do you know what for? For its language. Yeah. Too many F-bombs. Too many F-bombs. Which, <laughs> in my book, you can't have too many F-bombs, but whatever. Well, it's the reason we got Mother Humper. Right. And they had to either go back and redub or just cut the line altogether. But we do get one big, fuck you, and it's right here. Yeah. Uh, and it's well played. Absolutely. Well, so they beat the fucking beast, right? Well, this scene too, and maybe it was different for you, uh, but you know, I always bring up foreshadowing in these movies. And in the very beginning of the movie, when we see that big cliff, uh, when we see, you know, we're getting introduced to Earl and Val, and they have that big cliff se- sequence, and then we see the scene where it hits the wall and it kind of just breaks the wall. The first thing it made me think of the first time I saw it was it's blind and it's going to go over that cliff because it can't see. Somehow they're going to lead it to that cliff. Really? Well, I I missed the cliff in the beginning, so it was also fun the way that we got to reveal when uh, Val he dug up, and we could see the size of the worm. That was a really good reveal as well. And then uh, Rhonda shows up, and they kind of go through this whole "what the fuck is this" together, right? And I like the attention to detail that when they dug up the worm, it had the little pushers. I love how, and they explain how it goes through the sand so fast. I like how uh, Val exclaims that he found the butt end of it. And I also appreciated that, uh, was it Val or Earl that said uh, said that Chang was going to have to pay a lot more for this one? Oh, yeah. And, and I like how they're all, uh, we need to get a, 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 a winch and a truck. No, a winch will pull it apart. We need to get a lift and some pulling straps. And, and Rhonda, in the meantime, is going, wait a minute, something's not right. And she looks at her data, and she realizes there are three more of these fuckers out here. Mm-hmm. Three more. They head back to her truck. They don't quite make it to the truck. They have to sit on this boulder. Yeah, they run into the boulder. And I don't know if I'm just being nitpicky. Maybe. Probably. But why does it take them so long to discover the poles? It's not until the next morning that they discover the poles on the rock that they've been sleeping on all night and that the poles are there for them to pole vault. Somebody tell me why. Go. I feel like Earl and Val may not be the sharpest tools in the shed. So they don't come up with ideas real quick because you notice they're ready to give up several times and it's other people who kind of point out things to them. So it wasn't until Rhonda looked over the rock and saw the poles and came up with the idea. They're probably all freaked out and not thinking about it. Wow, you did a really good job of justifying that. Doesn't work, but but it... I like your would I you, like I like your attempt. My mind would not have gone to pole vaulting. Plus, they may not have known about Rhonda's truck where her truck was parked. Yeah, they did because they had talked about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it showed us the truck in, in the distance. Yeah. Oh. All I'm saying is the poles were right there. It took them all night. I, I just, feel like, yeah, it's kind of dumb. My my thought actually was, uh, especially the last time I watched it, is wasn't it convenient the poles were there? Oh, that's a whole other topic because not only was it convenient but all the poles were the perfect size (laughs) so i thought that the reason why we have it the next morning is because this is where the tone of the movie changes the music gets more upbeat and it i feel like it's you know hey it's a new day and you know things are going to be okay and throughout this whole bit uh earl is trying to nudge val in the way toward Rhonda. And so you can kind of start to tell that there might be a little budding romance uh, between these two. Maybe. This this is also a good scene for us, or a good situation for us to start seeing, or learning a little bit more about these, what they later call graboids, these worms, that they're smart, that they are patient. Uh, 
and that they can start to figure out ways to get to them. So it's, you know, I think that's what the whole purpose of that scene was, is to give us that whole idea. And so they miraculously use the pole vaults, make it back to her truck. I appreciated that Rhonda immediately grabs a pole vault and she pole vaults over. Earl goes and grabs it, and the first time he does it, he falls backwards. He falls backwards, yeah, yeah. I also like the bit where Rhonda jumps into the window and starts driving the truck with her hands. Uh, right. And as it's going, she's like, uh, a little help? And those two are just arguing in the back. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of funny. After the three return to town, the worms attack and kill general store owner Walter Chang, forcing everyone to hide on the town's various rooftops. Meanwhile, survivalist couple Bert and Heather Gummer manage to kill one of the creatures after unwittingly luring it to its basement armory. In town, the two remaining worms attack the building foundations, knocking over a trailer belonging to Nestor before dragging him under and devouring him. Realizing they cannot stay in town any longer, Earl, Rhonda, and Miguel distract the monsters while Val commandeers a track loader and chains a semi-trailer to the rear. The survivors use it to try to escape to a nearby mountain range. En route, both worms create a sinkhole trap that disables the track loader, and the survivors flee to some nearby boulders for safety. Earl then has an idea to lure in the worms and trick them into swallowing Bert's homemade pipe bombs. The strategy successfully kills one worm, but the last one spits a bomb back toward the survivors, forcing them to disperse as the explosion destroys all but one of the remaining bombs. Val lures the final worm into chasing him to the edge of the cliff and then explodes the remaining bomb behind it, frightening the worm into charging through the cliff face where it plummets to its death on rocks below. The group returns to town where they call the authorities to begin an investigation while Earl encourages Val to pursue a romantic relationship with Rhonda. Roll credits. So this is kind of where it really picks up. Uh, Val, Earl, and Rhonda manage to make it back to town. And this is where they start deducing that it's they can't see, right? Uh, vibrations is how they're tracking it. And they all think that they're safe, but they're not because these worms start tearing through the fucking general store. Well, well Val figures out from the map. I don't. I didn't remember exactly how he kind of put it all together, but the direction that the worms were heading was towards town. Right, and they were on the way. Mm-hmm. This valley is one long smorgasbord. In the meantime, we do also get a little uh, blurb where one of them says, "Well, you know, somebody's bound to come and check on us." Flashback to the road crew scene, and we see that there is a second truck there with more debris on the ground. Because they did, too. They did, too. You know, I don't think I caught that there was a second truck. So I'm glad you guys pointed out, because I wondered why they flashed back to them. Yeah. So good point. Yeah. So a worm shows up in town. Now remember, no noise, no vibration. And then the pogo stick, which you had to know was coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You saw that a mile away. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon being the hero goes and saves the little girl. He goes all foot loose on her. <laughs> well played. And uh, this is kind of where everything kind of splits up. 
Uh, and we have a second worm show up now. Right. And so now both worms are in town, and they know that there's people there, so they are just patiently waiting to make their move. We do get a little bit of chaos happening because we have Rhonda outside. She gets tangled up in the barbed wire. We get to watch the uh, the plumes of dust and dirt showing their movement, and then that that fun little bit that they did under the uh, the the boardwalk slats, right? The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Great effect. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of at that moment you're running on the slats, but yet all the slats are popping up behind you. You got to think to yourself, this ain't fucking safe. You know what I mean? My first thought is. Get to higher ground and get to higher ground quick. And eventually that's what they do. Uh, after they're all inside and Chang's ice machine or whatever yeah, that the thing. Cooler, the yeah. cooler turns on. And then the thing comes up through the fucking floor and eats I think eats that, was, Chang. that was the second hardest death to deal with because I liked Chang. Well, how could you not, right? Yeah. But the way they go, I mean, they're half in their mouth and... I, could you imagine? It took me back to Jaws, like you were mentioning earlier, to how Quint died. Yeah. Because we're getting to see him basically inside the mouth of the of the monster getting pulled in. And I don't know if you noticed, too, uh, when he was being pulled in, one of his legs was off to the side of the worm. And as he's pulled in, his leg went up. Yeah, yeah. And so it kind of crunched him in. And I, and I also thought about that when it ate the doctor, because half of his torso was under the sand. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine what? What's happening under the sand? Well, did you hear him still screaming while he's being dragged under yeah, the sand? Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, guys. If that ever happens and we get stuck in that situation and one of you has a gun, put a fucking bullet in my head before I have to be worm food. Please and thank you. Before you become worm poop? Yeah. So uh, Chang is gone. They all have to go to the roofs. And we have Nancy and the little girl on the roof of their house. We have Earl... Miguel and Val on top of the store. And where is Melvin? On top of the shack. Well, first he's inside the shack. And wasn't, didn't he do the dick maneuver when Rhonda was running towards the shack? He closed the door. Oh, maybe. I think he closes the door on her, so she kind of goes a different direction. That's where she gets wrapped up in the barbed wire. And this kid's always crying wolf, right? And the one time that he's not crying wolf, you know, the worm comes. And uh, Nestor is on top of his house, I guess, or no, no, his trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say that the I don't know the scene that had the most tension to me in this movie was when the worm starts pulling Rhonda when she's wrapped, got the uh, barbed wire wrapped around her, and he's pulling in the barbed wire towards her. Yeah, that that was pretty intense. There's there's a couple intense scenes in this movie, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So. And then we have uh, Rhonda gets separated from us, and she ends up over on the water tower. And that cuts to the uh, the Gummer compound. And uh, we have we have Heather looking through the binoculars. And she's like, something's going on over in town. They're all on the roof. And how does the radio work without being plugged in? You notice that Kevin Bacon crawls through the window, grabs the radio, and pulls it. Is it on batteries? Well, I assumed it was still had a long cord or something. No, there was, was there no, no cord, cord to it. Oh, no. you're right. I, I'm guessing when it comes to a CB radio, I would think that, don't you think that was a CB radio? Yeah, it was. But do those run on batteries? You know, I could see something like that out there. It, you know, uh, that's a very remote place. I could see something like that being on batteries potentially. All right, I'll fucking buy it. Uh, so they get to the roof and they're making contact with Bert and Val's telling them, get out of there, They're get to your big. roof. They're huge. They're they're on their way. 
right? And they're coming after you right now. I liked the firefight with Bert and Heather versus the worm. You know, a lot of that's miniature, too. Oh, is it? Yeah, a lot of this work was miniatures. And uh, this is one of the bits when the uh, worm comes crashing through the wall and it goes up and hits the ceiling. Mm -hmm. That bit is miniature. And uh, they did such a. There's another shot where it shows Bert's feet and the gun empty, and they uh, whip pan to the worm. There's a cut in between it that it's so seamless. It goes from real life Bert feet to a miniature, and you would never tell. It's one of the most perfect cuts. Mm -hmm. Did you think? Did you think Bert, both Bert and Heather, were going to make it? Uh, I was hoping. I I thought that if any of them were going to go, it would have been Bert. I thought when he got grabbed, he was gone. Yeah, yeah. And so I love the reveal that we get. So it, the worm crashes through the wall, and you know they start unloading with their weapons. And then when they go to put the gun down, and then they they turn around, they reach for more, and then we have the reveal of the wall. And you're like, fuck yeah! That big old fucking elephant gun. Uh, what they finally end with, it's like, oh my god! Oh, you mean the first reveal of the wall itself? Yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah. Of course, they've got fifty guns. Of course, they do, and they're all nice and they're perfect, and it's so good. And so they are—they're able to defeat one, um, and but they got to get out of town still. And they think that Bert and Heather think that their truck will make it. But, of course, the Graboids go and eat the truck. Mm -hmm. And so now there are no vehicles whatsoever. And the Graboids keep messing with the foundations in the town. Right. Stumpies stumpies analyzing these buildings. Right. And um, looking for a weakness. Did you know that the roof of Chang's uh, was built so it could collapse, be reset? And collapse again. I know it looked really cool with the kind of the wave effect when it was collapsing. Yeah, they built that whole town. That none of that existed. They built the whole town. That's really cool. Yeah, that's always really cool. Nowadays, you just put it in the fucking computer and you know hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And so they have to get out of town. And the best way that they can come up with is by using the cat, which is this big tractor, and they're going to haul a trailer behind it. Yeah, I felt it was like one of those. Uh, semi-truck trailers that they would have or haul gravel or something in. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they they have this idea, we'll, we'll distract we'll, we're the gonna worms. We're going to send a decoy out. Yeah, which I thought was a great idea because mm-hmm. it worked. It worked at first, yeah, until the thing tipped over. Which, come on, you knew it was going to happen, mm-hmm. you know. And so Val manages to make it to the cat. Well, well first he has to pause. Right, because... Uh, on his way, he realizes he's not going to make it. And so now he's pinned down by two worms. That was a fun little moment with him standing there, not moving at all, lifting his foot a couple of times. How does the worm not feel that? I thought about it. I thought that's maybe why it was swinging more aggressively, because it knew something must be right there. Maybe, because every time he lifted his foot and put it down, that made a vibration. Yeah. And they're supposed to be so hyper keen. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? But I did what think it do? was clever that they worked in the idea of pouring water on the ground because that would make a large sound Oh, yeah, they, they, needed a, they, dis- they needed a distraction. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was for sure, right? Um, so it works, and they distract the worms, and Val makes it to the tractor, and... Uh, he gets it moving. And he goes around and starts picking everybody up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, 
this is where Nestor falls off the trailer and he they tell him to get to higher ground and he you he gets on a tire he sits on a tire you so, knew what was coming yeah you know it's coming so Nestor's dead we cut to uh Bert and Heather and they are <laughs> they're busy little bees making bombs I love that they they put so much PVC on their venting on their roof that they could chop it down and make individual pipe bombs how's that for thinking and planning ahead right so um you know, they come around, they pick up uh, Bert and Heather, and now they're going to try and make it to the mountains. Well, I love how Melvin immediately asked Bert for a gun. And, and he Bert, was like, I'm giving you shit. He was, I wouldn't give you a gun if it was World War Three. That's right. And uh, this is also where we find out that the worms are fucking smart. Mm-hmm. Right? So they build a trap. Yeah, what are they doing? As long as they're doing it over there. Right, and it didn't occur to anybody that it could have been a trap. Well, my first thought was, you see the worms doing something over there. Well, I wouldn't drive in the direction that they are doing that thing over there. Take a fucking left. Yeah, I would have taken <laughs> the long way around to avoid wherever they were. Yeah, you know, you you, you gotta you would think that would be in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. but Well, I think that they had a false sense of security being in the bulldozer yeah i mean that was pretty was it 30 tons something like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah because we saw at one point uh the graboid the, the tentacle mouse they tried to bite onto that thing and they had no shot at it right so yeah that was a pretty clever trap that they do and then we have bert he scares him off with one of his pipe bombs what the hell is in those things bert you household chemicals in the proper proportions and, and i loved it right and- and Bert's response to if he gets taken by one of those things, or no, to avoid starvation, and if he gets taken by one of those things, uh, give him one of the bombs because he's going to blow it up from the inside. I don't know why that made me think of you, Don. That's how you would go out. No, oh, thanks, buddy. Um, but yeah, they they set the trap. They demobilize the tractor and everything, and they all got to make a run for it. And, uh, you know, Melvin's like, fuck this. I ain't going. And Bert gives him a gun. And did you guys think it would be empty? Oh, I had a feeling it was. I, 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 I had a hunch. And so they start running and he starts clicking it because you know he just wanted to fire it, right? And uh, he's like, you son of a bitch, whatever. And they make it to the mountain I, or I, they make it to the boulder. I like Bert's reaction. It got you running. That's right. They are on this mountain and they start to, you know, start to go at each other a little bit. Tensions are really high. Bert thinks that if he had stayed in his home, he could have just, you know, fought them there and killed them there. He might have he might have been right if he had just stayed on the roof. I think Stumpy would have figured it out. I think you're giving Stumpy and, way too much credit. I'd probably come up from underneath them instead of Well, if he them. well, I I would have been counting on him coming up from underneath and I would have set all the bombs. Yeah. They hadn't made them yet. If they could have. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, I you know, they may or may not have survived. The fact that there was only two left, I think their the chances were probably good for them. At their home. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so on this rock, you're right. Uh, Time goes on. Tension's high. And uh, Bert's like, if it comes down to me or whatever, I'm going to strap one of these and go out there and let him meet me. And Earl's like, that's a great idea. And, you know, not the whole you dying (laughs) part, but let's go fishing. And I like this bit. I I thought this was pretty clever. Absolutely. Uh, And they go fishing. They throw, they take a rope and they throw the bomb out there and the one graboid gets it and boom blows up 
And we get the raining of the guts. Which I always thought is fun. Yep. Which, yeah. I always felt that, you know, this is a good point for a gag moment of, yeah, Melvin got hit by, I think, a couple of little pieces. They should have just coated Melvin. That should have been like the redemption of Melvin. So they, they get rid of one. Now there's only one left. This is this scene coming up uh, that kind of gives me the ho-hum, uh, you know, great, they did it that way, which is they go fishing for the other one. And he spits the bomb up, and where does it land? Oh, on all the other bombs. Of course. How did that worm have such great aim? He didn't. It was just lucky. Yeah. That's all that is. Yeah, that's, just, that's one of those moments in a movie that you just go, okay, yeah. Wait, it took you that long to get there? The rest of the movie I thought was done pretty well. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a giant worm that's chasing them, but you know, a giant tequila worm kind of thing. All right. I'm just making sure, bud. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah, that's the part I started not believing. I started not believing. And so they have one bomb left. And we have Val, Earl, and Rhonda not on the rock. What are you guys doing out there? Let's just fucking end it. And so Val has an idea, and him and Earl start running, and they're trying to light the bomb. But naturally, Rhonda has the lighter. So Rhonda has to chase after him. But this is the thing I had a question about. Uh, Earl and... Uh, Val have a kind of a head start, and I thought the worm was behind them. I thought we could kind of see the worm moving behind them, and we know that these worms move very fast underground. How did Rhonda run past the worm to get up the lighter up to them? She, uh, she's they had a faster. Good head start because she's faster. Rhonda was a high school athlete, and well, she did very star. well in track. Pole she voting. won a state a couple of times in track and pole vault. So that's why she was able to do this. I don't know why you're questioning it. You just got to believe it. Okay. And so uh, they come up with this. Uh, Val comes up with this idea. He knows how he's going to beat it. Uh, he throws the bomb, and apparently he misses. Well, I thought that he threw the bomb to get the 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 worm frenzied to have the worm go even faster. That's I, what he did. I thought he was throwing it to try and time it where it landed in front of him as he was getting there at the exact same time to blow it up. That's why when he threw it, he goes, oh, I overshot it or I missed it or something like that. Well, that was Earl. Earl said you overshot it. Yeah, and that's what I'm sure Earl and myself thought he was doing. Yeah. But no, I guess he was trying to scare it from behind, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and it works. And the fucking thing flies out of the fucking cliff. And I know this was hokey with the practical effects, but I actually thought they did a great job with it smashing to the ground and guts going everywhere. Oh, I love the impact. Yeah. Because it just impacts and just immediately bursts. The sound effects that they use for these worms were used in other movies, including Starship Troopers. Ah, well, it would have been used in Tremors first. I like that little line that we get from Val. Well, you know, it just suddenly hit me. Stampede. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a callback from the from the beginning when he wakes up Earl. No, it's a callback. So they defeat the final Graboid, and, you know, they're trying to make the town right again. And the guys are leaving town. And so Val has to make his move. Did you hear about the test audiences and their reaction to when they first saw the movie? Yeah, they changed the fucking ending. Yeah. The ending is Val and Earl leave town. But before they leave town, when Val is saying goodbye to Rhonda, the entire crowd starts saying, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her, or something like that. And it didn't happen. And so the crowd got pissed. So the crowd got to change the ending of the movie. Yeah. The studio went back and refilmed it. Fuck that. That's all I got to say. I did find, and I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's just that I'm not a romantic at heart, but 
the fact that they kiss and then the credits happen, I felt like there was something missing from the ending. There no, needed to be something more, something with just Val and Earl. I, I think I would have liked to see them drive off into the sunset. Oh, I, I would have too, because it started, it would have finished how it started. Or at least the three right. of them drive off or something. Nah, I don't know about the three of them, but there's so many movies where the, the two protagonists kiss and the credits start rolling. So that didn't, I mean, that was just your typical ending. Or we could have had Val and Earl kiss. I'm fine it, with that, too. It would have been ahead of its time. In 1990? Maybe. Maybe. And that's Tremors. So my question for you guys is, how would you react? How would you feel if you had to face one of these graboids and it was right there in front of you? Man, I, I think something like that would be pretty fucking scary. I think the only thing that would bug me more would be to face that giant spider in Lord of the Rings. Oh, fuck. Why do you encourage him? Now it's time for John's moment. Normally, this is where I would talk your ear off regarding the comparison of Tremors to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. But I'm not going to do that this week. This week, I'm going to compare Tremors to another above-average movie, Jaws. So this week, you get John's Shark Bites. Let's start off by looking at the three main protagonists. First, Chief Martin Brody. He's the police chief determined to protect his community. He acts as the voice of reason and responsibility. In my opinion, the best comparison for Tremors to Jaws for this character, for Brody, would be Earl Bassett. While both Earl and Val dream of moving on to bigger and better things, when times get tough, he sticks around to protect the community he cares about. He often also comes out as a voice of reason, trying to talk Val out of some of his crazy actions. Second is Matt Hooper. In Jaws, he's a marine biologist. He brings scientific knowledge and expertise. He's best represented in Tremors by Rhonda LeBeck, the geologist. Like Hooper, her knowledge helps the community great to greatly understand what they are dealing with and how to defeat it. And lastly, there's Quint. He's a seasoned shark hunter and represents the old school rugged individualism. The best example of Quint in Tremors would be Bert Gummer, the survivalist, who would rather shoot first than stop and think of the science and nature. His gung-ho attitude reminds me very much of the ship's captain who might listen to suggestions, but in the end, do things his own way. All three characters and their comparisons embody the determination to face their fears and protect their community. So what would represent the orca, the boat our protagonists go out on, to challenge the threat? In my opinion, the track loader used near the end of the movie best represents the orca. Both vehicles were thought to be tough enough to withstand the might of their adversary. Just like the orca met its end during the final moments of the movie, so does the track loader. So what is the great white shark? Who is Bruce? In Jaws, 
The great white shark represents the relentless predatory nature of nature itself. It lurks below the water, striking fear into the hearts of the townspeople and disrupting their way of life. In Tremors, the shark is obviously represented by the graboids as they epitomize the unknown and the unstoppable force that threatens the safety and survival of the community. Both creatures symbolize the primal fear of the unknown and our vulnerability in the face of nature's power. So there you have it, my comparison of Tremors to Jaws. Bring on the grades. I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming? Not at all. What do you think? I don't know, man. That's out of left field. And the fact that you went to left field, I'm going to have to say I'm kind of impressed. Kind of. Uh, the correlations worked uh, because it's the, I feel like both movies are, are very similar. Um, yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and give you an A minus. Holy shit. Yeah, that just happened. He got an A for just mentioning Jaws. So come on. Yeah, but what about what about Valentine? He's not represented. No, and as he was going through that, I was thinking that if I was going to do it, I probably would have taken, if I was going three for three and taking Gummer out of it, even though he does make a good Quint, uh, I would have said that Earl was Quint and Val was Brody and Rondo was Hooper. That's where I was kind of going. That's how I would have broke, broke it down. But him making Bert Quint, it does work. Yes, it does. So, so yeah, I'll give you an A minus, bud. <laughs> Did not. <laughs> I'm so surprised by that. As for me, uh, okay, let's go ahead and give it a B. <laughs> and I will say nothing to keep my grade. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. What about you, John? You don't have to grab my leg and pull me down. <laughs> that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Uh, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. A one fuck movie is a movie where you see it one time and you're like, eh, I'm never going to watch that again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is a movie where... You see it, you're done with it, and you're like, oh, for shit's sake. What the hell was that? Who made me watch this? You know what? Somebody owes me one hour and 36 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, well, I guess I selected the movie, so I will go first. You go first. Thanks, buddy. Tremors is a really fun movie. It's a good monster movie. It does a lot of the things right. It is silly at times, but I think at an hour and 36 minutes, it comes in at that sweet spot. Uh, it doesn't really drag. The characters are fun. The soundtrack is good. The story is passable. The story basically is man against nature, and we've seen a thousand of those movies. But what makes this movie a little bit more different is the characters. And I think that's what's going to uh, make good monster movies stand out is not only how good your monster is, because we all know that I say less is more, uh, but it really comes down to your characters. And I thought that the characters, all of the characters in this movie had really good chemistry and I bought that they were in the middle of nowhere and I bought that they made dumb decisions and I bought that they ended up where they ended up because of how it all worked out. Tremors is a lot of fun. It's a good watch. I am giving Tremors 
3.75 fucks. Which one of you graboids would like to go next? John? I can go next. Tremors blends horror and comedy with... Whoa, whoa. Oh, you're right. Done. Oh, yeah. Before I go, Don, would you like to get back on track and see if you can guess what my rating will be? Oh, yeah. Let's, um... Tremors. You didn't speak highly about it like you were going to gush all over it which kind of surprised me i thought this would really be kind of down your alley Uh, you seemed kind of not melancholy but kind of like in the middle i think you liked it better than 2.5 but not as much as 3.25 so i'm gonna go you're going to give tremors 2.75 fucks final answer final answer okay Tremors blends horror and comedy with creature feature elements, creating an, an entertaining movie. I've said it before that I tend to be drawn to horror comedies, such as our last reviewed film, Zombieland. And while I didn't find Tremors as funny, I did appreciate the quirkiness of the film. The script does a pretty good job with witty dialogue and timely humor. The pacing didn't feel too long at parts. But at the same time, the slow pace did give a feel of the the waiting to die like the characters were experiencing in certain parts of the movie. Overall, the plot was a bit thin. The community stalked by a killer worm. This is compensated for by the inclusion of our lead actors. The chemistry between Bacon and Ward was great. I loved it. It was very entertaining. Most of the times they, you know, most of the times that they shared the screen together. The supporting cast, including gun enthusiast couple uh, Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre, the geology student Rhonda LeBeck, and each added favorably to the overall mix. The, the film's special effects, while made in a pre-CGI era, were remarkably effective. The graboids, designed by Algamated Dynamics, looked good. With the exception, as I said earlier, the goo, which I found almost comically gross. The camera to depict the Graboid's underground movement was also done well. And overall, the monster's design seemed well thought out and logical. Despite the movie's shortcomings, Tremors has gained a well-deserved cult status over the years. It brought a fresh take to the monster movie genre with its blend of suspense, comedy, and well-crafted monsters. The biggest strength of Tremors is its ability not to take itself too seriously while attempting to deliver thrills and chills. The only issues, like I said, I had with this movie is just the fact that it was so far-fetched uh, and so hard to believe. And I, in comparing it to other horror comedies as well as other you know thriller-type movies out there, it just didn't rate as well. So for those reasons, I'm giving Tremors 2.75 fucks. Bang! 2.75 fucks from the comic book guy, 3.75 fucks from yours truly, and Professor. I think that Tremors is a very easy watch. This movie is fun, it's lighthearted, and the bond that we have between our two main characters, our two protagonists, are wonderful. I think that they are definitely a really solid buddy duo that we have uh, given to us in a movie. They are so lighthearted and easygoing. It's always just so much fun when they are bantering back and forth, whether it's at ease or they're under extreme pressure. 
the uh the 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 young gal of Rhonda, I thought she was a likable character as well. But I gotta say that I think it's Bert and Heather. They kind of sort of steal the show. I think that those two characters are fantastic, and they are uh, they're they're a little on the crazy side, but a good kind of crazy that plays out perfectly in this scenario. I thought that the worms were good. I thought that they were fun to watch, and it is easy to watch because it's only an hour and a half. And because of that, you know, I I think that it is a fun, lighthearted movie that I have no trouble giving three point seven five fucks. 3.75 fucks from The Professor, which gives us an average of 3.4 fucks, which puts it in the 18th spot with Ocean's 12, Summer School, It Chapters 1 and 2. It is slightly better than The Greatest Showman, Big, and Mallrats, and slightly worse than Big Trouble in Little China, Heat, and The Peanut Butter Falcon. That's right in the wheelhouse of those, yeah. Kind of, a little bit. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. And speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? They can always find us at www.threeguysinaflick.com, where we post all of our show notes. All of our episodes are there. You can find blog articles about or related to whatever uh, we're currently reviewing as well as you know other trivia and other fun information and you could submit a movie you would like us to review next you can also find us at all of social media and any place that hosts podcasts all right i just want to thank zach ronnie and jill for listening keep on listening thanks zach thanks ronnie thanks jill and i want to send out a special thank you to Mackenzie for throwing tremors into the helmet i hope you think that we did it justice and we hope that you enjoyed this show And I also want to thank anyone who listens and has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. to you from on top of a big ass rock in perfection nevada 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 nervada <laughs> it's been a minute I, I gotta ease back into this <clears throat> if you just want to be the musical guy instead of the comic book guy we can make that happen we can make that happen couldn't i be both oh i suppose i mean you know just buy musical buy whatever <laughs> hey i might be i might be buying a lot of things but lingual is not one of them all right Okay. See, see what happens? I was trying to do it a little different. But okay. Oh, okay, go ahead. No, you go no, ahead. No, 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 I want you to go ahead. No, I want you to do no, it. No, I want you to do it. After you, sir. No, please. I insist. Hey, Don. Okay, I'll go ahead and go. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the chick brings it. Yeah, but she's, she's the one that discovers it. Not, yeah. Not the town members. I, I would say that's a poorly written, written yeah, question. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. I'll subtract that point. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's the second time we mentioned that. Foreshadowing? I don't know. Ooh, I just got a tingle. (laughs) The geologist. I almost said gynecologist. (laughs) Right on. All right. Which one of you graboids? It's too bad we're not doing the sequels because then I could call you ass blasters. Or screechers. Ass blasters is so much better. Okay. You keep recording.
will keep. If you. <laughs> okay, the first one, which I don't like as much, is Quivers. <laughs> My second one is Tremor Her. Tremor Her? Tremor Her. What about you? Uh, what about you, Professor? What porn name do you got? And that and that's Ken flipping us off. I came up with Creamers. Give uh, it, how about Cream Her? Cream Her? Yeah, that's not bad, too. No? No. I'd just like to say Ass Blasters again. One more time. Ass Blasters. Happiness is. Ass Blasters. There you go. I like that. All right, fuck off. Good night. So, baby, why not tonight? This could be the start of something